0: What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show. It's the business podcast. You can actually apply. Today, we're catching up with the six figure houseplant blogger, Rafael Delalo. You might remember Rafael from a blog coaching episode we did last year with the help of Matt Giovanesi from Money Lab. At that time, Rafael was generating over 300,000 page views a month, a ton of traffic to his houseplant blog, Ohio Tropics. Dot com that traffic translated into around 10 grand a month in income on the side from his day job mostly from display ads and a little slice of affiliate commissions as well in this episode we focus on that core of the business creating SEO friendly content and then monetizing it on autopilot with ads I mean isn't it cool that you can turn an interest of yours into into a really nice online income. I just love stories like these. If you don't have a website of your own yet, blogstartercourse.com is the place to go. That's my free video course on how to get your own website up and running quickly and affordably. And if you need some niche inspiration, check out the show notes for this episode to download your free bonus on 20 hobby niche ideas that you can start an online business around today. That's at sidehustlenation.com slash plants or through the link in the episode description of your podcast app. I'll be back with my top takeaways from this chat with Raphael after the interview.
1: Ready? Let's do it. A lot has evolved and changed since we last spoke. The big thing is I actually was able to quit my day job back in early November of 2021. That's the big piece of news. Very cool. Congrats. The side hustle became the main hustle. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. And I've also come out with a book earlier this year. So a traditionally published book. I had a couple self-published books before that, but I worked with a publisher and came out with my first traditionally published hardback book on houseplant care. It came out in March of this year, twenty twenty two. Overall I'm, you know, continuing to grow my blog.
0: Okay. Very
1: cool. Well, again, congrats on going full-time, becoming a full-time blogger. I don't
0: know, what year did you start the site? Like, how long did it take to get to that point?
1: I started ohiotropics.com a little over five years ago. It was actually in March. Um, so whatever the math works out to, 2017, I think. <laughs> and for the first couple of years, I didn't take it too seriously. I was just trying to figure out what I was doing. And then I, you know, after the first two years, I really started to dig in and take it seriously and grow the website.
0: Okay. Well, that's awesome. I'm excited for you. If you're comfortable sharing, what's the traffic and revenue picture look like today?
1: Yeah, so it's a little bit seasonal. You know, there's ups and downs. Right now, I'm still getting over 300,000 page views per month. It's about the same amount of traffic that I was getting last time we spoke. However, my revenue has gone up. So my RPMs have gone up continually since then. So I'm actually making more than I was. Before as well, even with the same amount of traffic, do you attribute
0: that to you know better on page optimization, just a rising tide across the entire advertising industry? what do you what do you think is causing that?
1: I think it's a little bit of all of the above and then also a lot of my revenue that I make from my website is is from advertising. and so I use Mediavine as my ad management network, and they're absolutely incredible. And they provide their publishers with a ton of tools. And so on their dashboard, there's a ton of information, very useful information, such as, you know, let's say broken down by post, I'm able to tell what the RPMs are by individual posts on my blog. And so I'm able to see the types of posts that earn more money. And then a lot of times I'll just write more similar content. That way, and it's enormously helpful. Okay. What's a typical RPM for your niche? It can vary pretty drastically, you know, depending on what you're writing about, even within the same niche. So, this month, my average RPM by session is a little over $40, and that's actually low for me right now. So, actually, I've gotten as high as, you know, in the 50s and 60s. Um, in terms of RPM, which is great. <laughs> okay, but so say
0: forty dollars per thousand sessions. If I am dividing that correctly, it's like of uh, like four cents per page. Everybody who stops by the site is worth four cents.
1: Yeah, I guess. I guess if you broke it down per, I never actually did that. That's interesting. So yeah, that sounds about right.
0: It's a weird metric, like our, you know revenue per milli, you know, or a thousand, like some Latin thing. But yeah, yeah. I think it's, I don't know, for some reason that's kind of interesting to be like, oh, if I can get people to land on this page, that's worth a nickel, you know? And it's like, okay, keep stacking that stuff up. Anything going on on the affiliate side of
1: things? That was maybe around a thousand bucks a month, mostly Amazon last we spoke. You know, that's chugging along pretty much the same as it was, you know, with ups and downs as well. So that, that's been pretty steady. Okay. I haven't really focused too much on on affiliates. I mean, I still add affiliate links, and it's, of course, only products that I personally use and recommend. But I, I've also been working with a small company that makes custom blends of soil mixes for particular houseplants. So she has a an affiliate network as well that she started. So I'm working closely with her on generating also um, content for my blog, informational content, as well as helping to drive affiliate affiliate sales with that. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say, oh, when
0: I started, you know, white labeling this stuff and selling it under my own e-commerce umbrella, uh, you know, now I have this whole physical, you know,
1: physical product side of the business. Now my business is heavily informational. It's a content business. But as far as a physical product, other than, you know, the two e-books that I have, and now my, my Houseplant Warrior book, I don't have any other actual physical products at This point, at least,
0: yeah. Well, it's kind of funny because I think Matt has branched out into physical pool care products, uh, in addition to all his affiliate stuff, his digital stuff. And it's like, oh, you know, and I already have you know all this you know existing traffic. I can recommend this thing, and but now it's like a whole new logistics and cash flow challenge of products and shipping and inventory and everything else that goes into it. But so, staying on the content side, staying on the digital product side of things with the addition of the traditionally published book. What kind of impact have you seen from that? Has it been primarily your own audience buying the book? Has it brought new people into the fold? Curious about uh, that side of the business.
1: Yeah, and and it's hard to say a breakdown in terms of the percentage of people that already follow me buying the book, but definitely that's a large portion of it from, from me promoting it. But it's also fun to see, just the other day, my friend was traveling over in Vermont, and he stopped in a bookstore, and he saw my book, and he took a picture of it and sent it over to me. So just from the distribution that the publisher has, it's bringing my my content and my book to a wider audience as well. That's my understanding of especially the traditionally published model, where you're not making much on the book
0: royalties, like, okay, maybe I get a twenty-five a copy, but... I hopefully am casting a wider net than I would be able to on my own. And I have now a certain cachet that comes with becoming a traditionally published author and everything else. So i just curious to get your perspective uh, on that, if you would do it again, or it's like, ah, I'm going to stick with the self-publishing from now on.
1: <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think I, I would definitely do it again. I wouldn't say I would seek it out. <laughs> as hard as I did the first time through, okay, um, because it's definitely been good, and I'm I'm glad I did it. I have no regrets, but there was a little bit, I guess, of a a misconception about you know how publishing works in terms of the royalties and the upfront you know advance that they pay, and it's a balance because I hate to put it this way, but it also takes time away from my core business, which is providing informational content on plant care but i i still don't regret it that i have a physical product out there for you know to refer my my readers and my followers and it's opened other doors as well and that's right no that's really cool one thing that we talked about that
0: matt was really trying to recommend was creating and selling your own digital products or even doing a better job of selling the digital products that you already had i don't know if there was an ebook uh, or two at the time I don't know if you branched into any plant care online courses or anything like that, but can you speak to
1: that that side if if anything happened on that front or or not? Yeah, nothing has happened yet. I'm a one-person show. And so right now what I'm trying to do is expand a little bit more. It's hard to do everything. You know, I want to create more videos for my YouTube channel. I do want to have some kind of course that I can offer. I don't know whether it would be a video course or you know, what type of format it would be, but I haven't really delved into that yet.
0: Are you doing all of the content creation yourself, or have you experimented with outsourcing writers or anything like that?
1: I tried once to outsource a little bit of writing, and it was actually for an affiliate type post. And what I found was that by the time when I got it back from the writer, it just, I don't know, it wasn't in, it wasn't in my voice. I think my readers would know. For people that have been reading my content for a long time, I think that they would know that it wasn't written by me. And so it, it almost lost a little bit of the, you know, like a genuine, down to earth style that I, I try to use in my writing. And so ever since then, I just, I haven't done that because everything that I write about is stuff that I've experienced myself and, and that I do. So it, it all comes from personal experience. And I don't think you can replicate that if you're just hiring a writer. They're not just researching a topic and writing about it. What I do is I add my personal experience and my personal touches to it. I think that's why part of the reason why I've been so successful because people can. People can relate to it versus I I think when you go online and you read an article, you can tell if it's been farmed out. You know, in my case, that has grown the plant. And, you know, you see pictures of my own plants in the post and I can speak from the personal experience. And so I think that's, that's very valuable. And also in Google's eyes to have original content versus, you know, sites that there are sites that just farm content out and you can tell. Yeah, I think
0: there's something to that. And even for the stuff that, in my mind, well, it doesn't really need to be in my voice. Like, anybody could create this thing. But then you get it back, and you just, uh, you know, it's just, uh, I don't want to sign my name to this the way it is. And so then you spend four or five hours editing it, basically rewriting the whole thing. And you're like, well, what did I pay you for? That's exactly <laughs> that's exactly it. I have, I, I'm with you. I have a hard time with that. And that's, you know, maybe a growth, Mindset challenge to to get over with, or just go out and find another side hustle expert to create this content, another houseplant expert to create this content, and you can build their own little person, you know, persona, you know, on the blog. It's something like long term, but totally with you right now. Like you can kind of tell the stuff that's written in the first person from firsthand experience. Like I love landing on those sites because you can tell through the writing there's an interest, there's a passion, there's a a level of expertise out there where it's just you know somebody else just you know, looking at the top 20 posts and creating the random conglomerate listicle, you know, based on what else was already out there ranking. It could work,
1: but it's uh, it's definitely a challenge there. I've tried that too. And it just doesn't, for me, it doesn't work as well, traffic-wise. It just doesn't. And I don't know if it's a matter of, you know, people engaging with the post more, if they know that whoever wrote it actually is speaking from personal experience. Maybe they, they stay longer on the page, and you know, that's one of the the signals to Google, I don't know what it is, but I haven't had any success with, you know, like the listicle type content where I'm just assembling something, unless it's stuff that I've done myself. I'm just talking about strictly researching online and and creating like a listicle type post that I don't have any personal experience with. It just doesn't work that well for me.
0: From the outside looking in, it seems like the type of content that does well for you is, you know, care tips for Specific plants, and then targeting the common name and the you know official technical you know Latin name of the plant, kind of in the in the title of that. Like it's commonly known as the San or something, something, but it's you know actually this. And so, what other type of content does well? You know, versus you know, am, am I refreshing? those posts that have been in the archives now for years and just making sure that they're still up to date. It's a pretty evergreen topic, slightly pun intended here, but there's when you're looking at the new content calendar or, you know, your time allocated to creating content, updating old stuff versus creating new stuff, you know, keyword research. Let's
1: talk about that process for a little bit. Sure. So definitely part of what I do is I update old posts and I'll look at my metrics and my rankings. And if I find that, you know, certain keywords or posts are slipping in the rankings. I'll, I'll go take a look, and you know, more often than not, someone else has created content on that, and you know, maybe it's a little bit better, a little bit longer, more detailed. So I definitely have a concerted effort in in updating old posts, and it it does pay off. But I still produce new content more, much more than I update. Old posts. And I, I know some people do the opposite and they create a certain, you know, once they're happy with their two or three hundred blog posts, they just simply update what they have. But I mean, I feel fortunate in that there are so many plants and you know, to write about and so many issues, problems to write about when it comes to plant care. That's not an issue for me in coming up with with new topics to write about. And for me personally like you know like you mentioned i i do focus on i'll write individual posts on the care of specific plants but also you know very common problems so down to the plant and you know you mentioned you know your monstera there in the back um having you know some brown tips on the leaves i actually wrote an article about that very recently about why that happens there's always a million reasons why it's never cut and dry I'll also write, you know, how to propagate individual posts on how to propagate certain plants and how to repot certain plants, things along those lines. So I don't have a shortage of topics to write about.
0: Okay. Yeah. So three or four different posts could be about the same plant and then multiply it by, you know, however many thousands of different kinds of plants there are. And you got content ideas for years.
1: Yeah. And that's actually a very good method for SEO as well. Once you start a blog, it's kind of kind of shooting in the dark because you're creating content and you have to build up your content because you don't have any data yet to look at and to analyze and see what works. But once you have you know a certain amount of content, then you can go back and see, okay, well, you know, this particular plant did really well in Google, I'm going to write more about that. And so, you know, clustering a bunch of content around a single topic And then interlinking all those posts together is a great method to help your SEO and help your organic search search results. So I I make a pretty big effort to do that whenever I can.
0: When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Are there any metrics that you're looking for in maybe prioritizing the new content in terms of search volume or competitiveness? Are you looking at any metrics on that front?
1: When I first started out blogging, Everybody says, well, okay, you want to find low competition keywords that are high volume. That That's ideally, right? And it's still true. That's what you want because you want to maximize your traffic and you don't want it to be competitive so that you can start ranking right away. But what I found was these keyword tools that are out there, the search volume that they report is, I mean, no no one really knows what the search volume is except for Google. And they're not going to tell you. You know, whether it's SEM Rush or AHREFs or any any of these tools. I mean, I personally use AHREFs and I love it, but the search volume doesn't mean anything. And I've written some posts hesitantly where I thought, okay, well, it's telling me it doesn't have a large search volume. I'm going to write it anyway, and I'm going to see what's going to happen. Some of my highest volume, highest traffic posts are from that. And the reason is because Again, no one's going to tell you the actual search volume for for those terms, but then also there's so many different variations on what people search for so there could be hundreds of different variations of what people type into Google, and all of those are going to rank if they're related or just you know a different variation of the question or keyword that you put in so I don't hesitate to write posts even though it says you know in hrefs it might say zero to ten people per month search for." whatever the keyword is i search and that just goes from experience and you know from my readers and knowing what their problems are i'll know if it's something that people are are searching about because people will be asking me about it you know so you can't really use the search volume in a, in a in a tool as the final word because it's it's just not
0: <laughs> uh, yeah so in the absence of those metrics Does it just bubble up from the audience then at this point, subscribers, commenters, asking questions to to, to prioritize what you're going to write about next?
1: Yeah, that's one, one way that I do it too. And then another way I like to prioritize ideas of what to write about is by using Google Search Console. And so I might start with my top traffic posts and then I'll see, okay, well, Google Search Console does give you quite a few keywords, not all of them, but... Quite a few keywords that your posts are ranking for. And so then I'll look at, okay, are there any opportunities for keywords that I'm already ranking for, but that I'm not getting any clicks for in my posts that I already have. And so I'll often go in and see, okay, maybe I'm ranking number six or number seven or number eight for this keyword, but not many people are clicking it for this post because it's related, but it's not completely relevant to what the reader wants. So then I'll write a brand new post and I'll put that in the title and then use that keyword as the topic of of my post. And then with those posts, I'll find that I'll get traffic much more quickly than another keyword that I'm not ranking for at all.
0: Okay, that's actually a, a really smart way to do it because you're saying, well, Google already sees my site as somewhat authoritative on this topic, but it's not a perfect mm-hmm. match for what the user is is looking for. And so, what I've done in those cases and is usually trying to work those keywords into that post, like maybe add a section about that secondary keyword that's ranked six or seven and not getting a ton of clicks. But you're saying, well, you know why don't just create the in depth guide on what exactly that person is looking for, create it as a new post, and then you know have double the chances of getting clicks getting traffic
1: absolutely, and I also sometimes I will go ahead and add you know whatever the keyword is that i'm ranking for already if i find that i can't write you know a full blog post on it i'll just add it as a section maybe near the end of the post or in the frequently asked questions at the end because i don't want to create a whole new post if it's just going to be a bunch of fluff if i can answer it you know just with a paragraph or two then i'll go ahead and just update the post and and that has benefits as well because you're helping to keep that old post fresh and you're updating it in Google's eyes. And so that'll help keep it higher, higher in the rankings too.
0: It is. It's an interesting tool to discover some of the keyword variations that you might not have thought of. I'm trying to pull an example off the top of my head, but you're like, well, I I phrased it this way, or, you know, my initial keyword research pointed me to this phrasing or terminology, but it turns out a lot of people are using this other term. So can I work that into a subtitle or, you know, other, you know, H2s on the page, because it's the same content, you know, it's the same intent in a lot of cases. But can I, you know, re-optimize or rework and try and dip my feet in both pools, so to speak, on the keyword side of things? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Talk to me about the YouTube channel. So you're closing in on 16,000 subscribers on the Ohio Tropics YouTube channel. I don't remember talking much about this uh, last year, so curious to uh, get clued in there.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if we did mention it last time, but I've been saying probably for a year or more that I I want to create more content on on YouTube, and I haven't posted anything on there in several months. But I'm still getting you know several hundred new subscribers a month, and you know the revenue has also been increasing. And it's just from some old videos. I have to double down and, and really do that, be- just because video is huge, as you know these days. And hopefully get into some sort of cadence, you know, with posting. I just have to do it. I know it's something that needs to be done. And if I hire anybody, I think it would be a video, either an editor or someone to shoot my videos because it's, like I said, it's just me and it's very time consuming to edit videos <laughs> and, you know, to, to, to shoot them and edit them. Um, so that's possibly my next step that I'm going to focus on is to grow my YouTube channel. Yeah, I mean, some of these views, like you said, haven't
0: posted a ton of new content this year, but the ones that have been posted generally are getting thousands of views. And again, by tackling these evergreen topics, you know, how to propagate, plant XYZ, how to repot, plant XYZ, it seems to be doing really well. It's a formula that works. And it's one thing I'm excited about YouTube as a way, you know, to plant just another evergreen digital asset that can attract views listeners uh, you know readers email subscribers revenue ad income like all lots of good stuff can happen uh-huh. when you put it out there and it can age into the algorithm i don't know it's a cool place to be so uh, is the strategy so far mostly been to create the videos to kind of complement the written article on the same topic or you know how are you going about that
1: that's probably the smartest way to go about that is repurpose the content up until now, I guess I've just been posting whatever I shouldn't say whatever I feel like, but whatever seems most appropriate for, especially also for the season. like last year, late last year, I did something about how to get your Christmas cactus to to rebloom. You know, so there's certain seasonal posts that YouTube will pick up more quickly if you're posting them at the right time as well. But, yeah, definitely, I, I plan on repurposing the content and, and figuring out. I'm also expanding more into, not just house plants, so i'm I'm writing about a, a wider variety of plants as well now. Actually, this summer, I've written a few posts on outdoor tropical plants that are very popular to grow outside as well. So it's not just house plants, I'm expanding a little bit with that as well which which helps.
0: Do you have a publishing schedule like oh every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I try to get a new article out. What's that look like?
1: I don't have specific days that I post. Although I should say my my newsletter, I try to stick with every Thursday I send out my newsletter to my my blog subscribers. Before I quit my day job, my goal was to have one brand new post published weekly. And now my goal is two posts weekly, although it may not seem like a lot, especially since I'm, you know, I'm doing this full time now. I'm also doing, you know, some other things as well. I'm not just writing blog posts. So that's currently my goal now is to do about two new posts a week if I can. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. That's my current goal. Yeah, if so you can try and stack up the, I mean, if you're playing the media Vine game, if I can add
0: another post that gets another thousand page views a month, I just added 40 bucks to my bottom line and hopefully it stays consistent. And let's have 500 bucks a year. If I can give myself a raise by kind of just stacking up these different assets, I think it's a really powerful way to go. One thing that we did talk about, and you just mentioned sending out your newsletter. One thing we talked about last year was growing the email list from around Ten or twelve thousand subscribers at that time. What's that look today? Have there been any efforts to convert
1: blog traffic to the email list to the newsletter list? I pruned my email list, so if I have any cold subscribers, you know that don't engage at all, I actually deleted those subscribers. And I, I know there's different schools of thought on that, but I have much more engagement with my newsletter now than I used to. You know, I had pruned it down to I don't know maybe. 7,000 something, but now I'm back up to 9,500 subscribers. And I have a welcome series that I have that I send out and then um, a longer sequence after the welcome series expires in order to keep people engaged. But then I also send out a broadcast email every Thursday to all my subscribers as well. What kind of stuff do they get in the automated welcome series? So the Welcome series is basically, it's very high level, just, you know, how not to kill your houseplants. And so each email goes into a certain topic, like watering, light, different topics that, that people struggle with initially. And then after that, in the series that starts after the Welcome series, I just have, could be about specific popular plants and how to care for it, various topics um, that, that get a little bit, a little bit more specific.
0: That's kind of the promise when somebody opts in, learn how to not kill your houseplants. I'll, over the next week, I'll send you my five-part you know, email course on how to take better care of these things.
1: Yep. Yep, exactly. I call it the how to stop killing your houseplants mini email tutorial. So I just say, you know, are, you, are you a beginner struggling with houseplant care, confused about all the rampant myths out there, and don't know who to trust? Then you would just sign up with your email, subscribe, and then you start getting my emails. And people have been enjoying them, which is great. And they keep coming back.
0: Yes, it says, stick with me and I'll help you become the best houseplant parent that you can be. I like that. The best plant parent.
1: Yes. Very good. And what's the email service uh, that you're using to send that stuff out? So I use BirdSend, which I actually really like. And it's easy to use. It's, it's a lot more affordable than some of the convert ConvertKit. Uh, I know a lot of people like ConvertKit. And um, it, it's a lot more affordable than that. It has a lot of the same features. They keep adding on um, additional features. And I, I like it. I think it's easy to use. And um, the price point is great. And it's been working well for me. All right. Well,
0: we'll uh, link that one up. Bird Descent is new to me. Anything else going on? Any big shifts in the last 12, 15
1: months that we haven't covered? One of the things is um, I've actually I caught the attention of a pretty large plant company. And I have a large Instagram following. I'm a little bit burned out by, by social media. And so I w- I was gonna say, you know, as a tip of advice to, you know, eventually, <laughs> you know, don't focus too much on social media, although it's been it's been good to me. Um, I think eventually it just gets very draining and don't lose lose your sight on what's bringing in your revenue. So I've been focusing less on Instagram. I try and keep it up. I, I don't put in nearly as much effort. However, it has been beneficial in indirectly in some other ways. So last year I posted a photo of a plant that I grew and I tagged Proven Winners as, as a grower. And so they were impressed by how well I grew the plan. And so they contacted me and they said, hey, can we put you in touch with with our marketing department? So I built a relationship with them. And that actually led to them hiring me as a as a freelancer, helping them with, with their houseplant line that they just launched this year. So that's a great thing, you know, that came out of social media. It's almost on a uh, as needed basis and working on some special projects with them. So it's new to me right now, but it's, you know, something recent that that's come along.
0: All right. I feel like I have failed as a host to do my due diligence here because now I'm at instagram.com uh, slash Ohio tropics. And I love how you wait 40 minutes uh, into the interview before dropping this in this. And, oh, you know, I have a large Instagram following 165,000 followers over here. So now, of course, we, now we got to take a little detour and talk about growing this account, growing this part of the business, and how that you know interrelates to the book sales, the blog traffic, all all of the above. So, school us on you know becoming a plant influencer on uh, Instagram for a little bit.
1: My growth on Instagram is pretty much stagnant right now, and I, I'm actually even losing a, a few followers, net followers, I should say. With any of these social media platforms, I think when they're newer, you know, it they just work better, and then I feel like it's. As you know, the algorithms are constantly changing and they become, you know, pay to play. But that being said, it has had, you know, some beneficial outcomes. It's a nice creative outlet as well, but I'm not putting in nearly as much effort as I, as I used to before. I just want to maintain what I have, ideally grow it, but it's not the focus of my business because it's it's not directly bringing bringing in revenue, and I I do this full time. Yeah, that's helpful.
0: Recognizing okay, this is a channel to go out and find my people. Maybe before the Google traffic really started to take hold, and now it's like, well, I'm seeing a much higher ROI over here on just creating more SEO optimized content.
1: Yeah, and and you know the majority of my content from my blog, I mean. Probably, if I remember correctly, about about seventy percent is from organic search, and then a good chunk is also just direct traffic people going directly to to my blog, and then also Google Discover I'm getting some pretty good traffic through there as well, as far as social media and Instagram, you know driving traffic to my blog, it's not a large amount at all, so that's why i don't I don't focus terribly much time on that platform for, for that. Are you doing anything specific to optimize or submit
0: for Google discover? And the reason I ask is like my experience has been, you know, maybe every three to four months, like I see a, you know, a big spike as some new episode that I released gets picked up by Google discover. And I guess this is like internal to Android devices, just something that happens to show up in people's feeds in the morning, but
1: I don't do anything to optimize for it. I think Google put out a document out there that gives best practices for Google Discover, and to, just to be honest, I haven't I haven't read through all of it. It might be valuable to look through. I, I'm just trying to just keep doing what I'm doing because it's it's been working. I've been been getting per, uh, you know pretty steady traffic through there. I found that Google Discover tends to pick up new posts pretty quickly if you're, you know, continually putting out new content, that's a good thing. Another thing and don't quote me on this, I think they like images to be at least 1200 pixels. So they have certain dimensions for the photos. Doesn't mean that, you know, if if it's off, you know, if it's less than that that they won't pick it up. No. But it, I think that's one of the one of the things that the document talks about for for the best practices for for Discover. Interesting. Like
0: all the traffic is mobile, but, you know, we want the images to be super wide. Okay. Right. (laughs) Well, we'll have to go uh, take a look at that. I was going to ask if there's been any surprises or mistakes, things you do differently, and don't have to be just over the last year, but even since 2017, like, you know, when this thing started, anything you do differently if you had to start over, if you got the opportunity to start over?
1: Yeah, and I don't know really how much this impacts things, but in different niches, they they very well may. So when I started my, and this is my only blog, this is my only website that I've started. When I started my blog, I didn't know any better. And so I didn't know the structure of, of the URL and how it should be. So mine included the date, and, and I'm sure you're aware of this topic as well. So everything that I publish includes the date in the url the date that it was published if i were to go back i would not choose that i would just have whatever the post is about you know oh you're right i see that
0: even even for the recent stuff yeah
1: yeah and so but you can't ch- well you can change it I, I i could change it but then i'd have to redirect everything to that i don't think it's worth it i don't want to break anything <laughs> yeah but if it's still working don't don't risk breaking it Exactly. And I, I'm not going to touch it. And for me, it's fine because like you mentioned earlier, it's, it's literally, it's evergreen content, <laughs> pun intended. Um, yeah. So my information is not going to go out of date. I mean, the way you take care of plants is going to be the same. So that's one thing that if I were to start over, I would definitely not include the URL in, in the date. And I didn't know any better when I started.
0: Yeah. So if you, uh, if, if you're listening in and you're early on in your blogging journey, this is for whatever reason, you know this is a a throwback to the early days of WordPress, where it's very much a blogging platform rather than a full website builder CMS. And it's like, well, what's the date? You know, so it's the default to include this in the URL twenty twenty two slash oh seven slash twelve. You know, whatever the date is, and it's just you know for most content it's irrelevant, right? So you can go in and change that in your post settings early on to just just use the post title and then you know update that to include just only keywords, like make it. Shorter, simpler, easier for humans and robots to read. So, um, I appreciate you sharing that little tip. Anything, anything else come to mind?
1: I guess the only other surprise, and you know, like I mentioned, my my book that I published this year. You know, I received a, an advance for it. I didn't exactly know what what it meant. I mean, I, I knew what it meant. I mean, you know, they paid me to write the book, and then on top of that, there's royalties. But what I didn't know, and I just found this out recently, and I guess this is the way publishers do it, is that they have to make back the money that they pay you for the advance before you start to receive the royalties. So that I didn't know. I thought, oh, as soon as the first book sells, I'm going to make a certain amount per book, which is not much. But the publisher first has to make back them, their money before they start paying me royalties. I didn't know that. And I'm sure it's in the contract. And, you know, maybe I just didn't read it or misunderstood, but that's that's how it works. And being my first book, I, I didn't know, but I know now.
0: <laughs> yeah. So they're taking the upfront risk on you uh, to say, exactly we're, we're confident you can move this many copies uh, and that's why we're going to give you the money upfront to do it. Um, and it's not like they're going to come after you. Uh, well, it didn't sell as well as we had hoped, so now you owe us ten grand or whatever. You know the portion of right, life. right. Like, <laughs> so at least okay. So that's good. And so yeah, as a more long term. Hopefully, you know, a future asset that continued drives uh, royalties. You know, author royalties down the road. Yeah. What does the future hold for Ohio Tropics? We mentioned you know the digital product stuff. Maybe you know get some more airtime or get some more attention the YouTube side of things and just, you know, continuing to create evergreen blog content, where is the focus for the next
1: half of the year? So just continuing again to, to produce more content. I mean, it is a numbers game in the end, but you know, useful content, not just content to produce content. Um, It has to be useful to your readers. Otherwise nothing's going to happen. I do want to grow my YouTube channel and, you know, find more of a balance with that and, and a routine, uh, ideally I do want to hire somebody to help me with video. I think it's time I've reached a point where I I can't do all of it or I can't do more without actually hiring somebody. And initially I tried experimenting with hiring a writer. I didn't quite like, you know, the results and you know as we talked about I had to rewrite it and after you've paid somebody <laughs> to do it. But I do realize that in order to grow more, you know, you need a team or at least hire out some work. So my next focus is going, definitely going to be on the video side of things while maintaining what I already have with, with my blog. I've had some ideas for a potential um, phone app that I don't think exists out there, um, kind of a unique idea. So I'm exploring that as well. Okay, cool.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think the video stuff is a natural progression, especially since it's such a visual niche where if they can see you working on the thing, well, you know, what does his plant look like versus mine? You know, what's his record? Yeah. Kind of the step-by-step tutorial stuff over there. You're really cool. And definitely keep us posted on the uh, app development, you know, going, gra- you know, graduating to software is a whole new uh, level of <laughs> complexity. So <laughs> curious to hear what happens on that front. Well, it's been awesome. Uh, again, uh, Raphael, you can find him at ohiotropics.com. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation.
1: If you're trying to start a blog, or maybe if you have one and it hasn't gone anywhere yet, I would just say don't give up. The vast majority of people trying to make an income from blogging quit right before they start to become successful. So don't give up because you're in it for the long haul, and it's not something that you'll get results with overnight. Because it takes a while to build authority in Google, and you know you need the consistency and time to allow that to happen. So don't get discouraged and keep plugging along, because it it can and will happen if you're consistent and you're providing valuable content for for your readers, and you don't give up. Was that the goal in uh, in the
0: early days of the blog, 2017, 2018? Like, okay, my side hustle. I think I could grow this
1: to a point. Or
0: was just like, you know, I just like talking about plants.
1: It was a little bit of both. My original intent was just to have something, you know, an income stream that, that I could have in, in retirement, you know, provide supplemental income. Although, you know, it's a long way off, but that was my original goal. And then once I saw, wow, this thing's growing, maybe I could quit my job <laughs> one day and I, I was able to. So it went better than, than I expected, but it's a real thing. I mean, a lot of people think, Oh, what, what do you do for a living? Well, I run my blog. Well, what does that mean? And so many people are are so intrigued about how people make money blogging and there's so many different ways, but it is a real thing. I can personally attest to that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, very cool. Congratulations on everything that you've built and everything you'll continue to build. Really appreciate you sharing. It's been awesome to catch up and um, we'll have to do it again, see what's going on in another year or two with Ohio Tropic. So again, uh, Raphael, thanks so much for joining me and we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks,
1: Luganek.
0: All right. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Raphael. My top three takeaways from the call. Number one, focus. I found it very wise of Raphael to have taken notice of the things that are working in his business and then having the discipline to do more of those things. In his case, writing informative blog content that answers people's questions about their plants. It's easy to say, but often harder to do because once you get something like that spinning, it can be tempting to see all the other shiny objects out there competing for your attention. The Instagram account, the digital product path, the physical product path, the YouTube channel path. But uh, you guys know I like to experiment with different things. Usually it's a lot of fun, but I appreciated Raphael's reminder to focus on what is really driving revenue. And like he said, it's a numbers game. How many new monthly page views can I go out in conquest through this new content that I'm going to create or this old content that I'm going to update? And you know what are those pages views going to be worth in terms of ad revenue or affiliate income? It's pretty simple. Defend the rankings you've already got, stack up some new ones, rinse and repeat. But that's takeaway number one. Focus on what are the revenue generating activities in your business. Takeaway number two was to get personal. One thing I think has helped Ohio Tropics is that it's written in the first person. It's just like Side Hustle Nation in that way. When I land on a site, that's what I'm looking for in most cases is somebody else's hopefully expert opinion on how to solve my problem. That's what I'm Googling for. That's not to say that you can never outsource or delegate written content, but I think if you can add a little personality and opinion and insight to that content, you're gonna build more trust and ultimately build a more successful business on the back of that. I used to call it my... 10 80 10 content outsourcing plan where you know the 10% I would do at the beginning this is me outlining and you know providing kind of general guidelines of what I'm looking for hand it off to a writer for that 80% in the middle the the nuts and bolts like putting words to the page and then my 10% at the end the spot check the editing the you know inserting opinions and you know personal experience into certain sections so the 80 10 rule of outsourcing there but that was takeaway number 2 like Include your own personality, include your own personal expertise and opinion into your content. I think that's going to help stand out from the crowd there uh, versus the people who are just like, oh, this seemed like a good niche to get into. I don't know anything about it, but the keyword research pointed me here. Get personal. Takeaway number three, Google Search Console is your friend. I thought it was interesting that Raphael didn't necessarily put a lot of trust into the uh, keyword research tools to give an accurate picture of the traffic potential for any given keyword And I kind of agree with that. It shouldn't be the only metric you're looking at, but definitely worth, I don't know, at least a made difference saying, well, you know, compare, at least compare apples to apples and say, well, all else being equal, I'm going to go for the one uh, with more search volume. But it was cool to have the niche expertise to say, you know what? I know people have questions about this, so I'm going to write it anyway, even if it says zero to 10 searches per month. And for some of my top posts, they've started the same way either answering a question that I had, or someone in the audience had, or just from my own curiosity. And sure enough, other people were curious about that too. But one keyword research tool he mentioned that's free for everybody is Google Search Console, and specifically looking for those keywords where you're getting a ton of impressions, but not that many clicks. Oftentimes, that's a signal of a lower first page ranking, where, you know, the people at the top are getting all the clicks, or it's a search result that might not be as relevant as it could be to that keyword. That's an opportunity to either update the page that is ranking for that term to include that keyword more prominently, or to create a new post that really uh, addresses it better. And either way, you're tapping into data straight from Google, where you know, they already see your site as relevant and authoritative on this topic. And with a little bit of massaging, a little bit of elbow grease, you can start to pick up more traffic for those terms. One example that I came across just now is so one of my posts targets the keyword make extra money, big keyword for me. But search console shows that I have 37,000 impressions for how to make extra money from home, a little bit of a longer tail variation on the same keyword, which could easily be a new post that only includes home-based side hustle ideas or side hustle options there. So that was takeaway number three. Google Search Console is your friend. Give yourself an afternoon to dive into that data if you haven't done it in a while. If you liked this episode, check out my chat with Scott Keller next. It's on how he built his birdwatching blog from side hustle to a six-figure full-time income.
2: So I finally ran across something called tryinteract.com. And they do quizzes. Basically, now when you go to my website, after it might be thirty seconds—I forget exactly how I have it set up—a pop-up's going to come up. And instead of your normal pop-up, like "Please sign up for our list," it just has a picture, has a picture of a cardinal, and it just says, "What bird is this?" And it's like it gives like A, B, C, and D. So it goes straight into the quiz.
0: Okay. And- yeah, and, and hopefully that's an easy one for people to get. They recognize it from football uniforms, baseball uniforms. Okay.
2: Yeah. So it asks ten. It goes straight into a ten question quiz, basically testing your bird knowledge. And then after you complete the quiz, you get your. So it has a page where you can sign up for the email list. But if you don't want to, you can skip that step. It has a spot that says "skip this step" if you don't want to sign up for it. By then, someone hopefully is bought in enough to to do it. But then to see their answers, they either have to hit skip this step or you know sign up for the email list
0: to see results. And then it redirects over to the results page.
2: Yeah. Then it redirects the results page and they get a score and a you know, you had to fill in, like, if you get, i had to make up little names, like you're a bird brain or, you know, stuff. <laughs> you kind of make it creative, like, all right, you did great or you need some help, things of that nature. Then it takes them to an answer page if they want to see yeah, the results page, answer page. And that has increased my conversion rate to get emails to between two and 3%. So just overnight, I had a four to five hundred percent increase in the number of email addresses. I've
0: got again. That was Scott Keller from episode five ten on the creative way he found it to grow his email list. You can scroll down to episode five ten in your podcast app to find that one. Really, a similar business to Raphael's—a hobby niche, bird watching in this case instead of houseplants, but lots of Google-friendly Q and A type of content. And if you don't have a website of your own yet, blogstartercourse.com is where I'd like to send you. That's my free video course on how to get your own site up and running quickly and affordably. And if you need some niche inspiration, well, what could I blog about? What could I write about? Check the show notes for this episode to download your free bonus on 20 hobby niche ideas that you can start an online business around today. That's at sidehustlenation.com slash plants or through the little link in the episode description of your podcast app. Big thanks to Raphael for sharing his insight. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.